It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Wednesday morning, the 1st of March. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. The British Prime Minister was in Belfast yesterday where he moved to, to alleviate concerns about British identity, which Rishi Sunak says the Windsor framework will protect in Northern Ireland. It's really important to me and to many of you that in all ways, shape and form that Northern Ireland is fully part of the United Kingdom. We are one country and it can't feel different, it can't be different. For business, uh, the Prime Minister says uh, the New Deal with Europe is win-win. Having access to that EU market, ensuring that there's no border north-south on the island of Ireland, uh, is really important. It's really important for Northern Ireland's prosperity, for jobs, for opportunity. And that's the balance that we needed to strike. And I'm really pleased that we protected that balance, because that's something that I heard loud and clear, that as much as we wanted to fix all the problems... We also couldn't lose the thing that people valued. Unfettered access to Europe and also to the rest of the UK. That's why I believe this is the right agreement for Northern Ireland. So businesses like yours will continue to trade freely, source freely on the island of Ireland whilst having much easier access and flow between Great Britain and Northern Ireland. But the Windsor framework doesn't just deliver for businesses. And in all senses, for identity, everyone feeling they're part of one country. That is what we've been able to achieve. This deal protects British identity. It gives access to the single market and the PM says places Northern Ireland in an enviable trading position. That is the price that is on offer. Because if we get this right, if we get this framework implemented, if we get the executive back up and running here, Northern Ireland is in the unbelievably special position, unique position in the entire world, European continent, in having privileged access, not just to the UK home market, which is enormous, fifth biggest in the world, but also the European Union single market. Nobody else has that. No one. Only you guys, only here. And that is the prize. I can tell you, when I go around the world and talk to businesses, they, that, you know, they know that. They're like, that's interesting. If you guys get this sorted, then we want to invest in Northern Ireland. Because nowhere else does that exist. That's like the world's most exciting economic zone. 
Richie Sunak. Let's speak to Sinn Féin's National Chairperson, Declan Kearney, who's an MLA for South Antrim. And a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us on the programme. Some deal, isn't it, when it's put like that? And hats off, I'm sure, to the DUP in that the DUP can take full responsibility for all of the significant changes that are being made to the Northern Ireland Protocol. How do you think they managed to pull it off? Imagine why that Chagas just a Nice to speak to you once again. We've said from the very outset that this is about ensuring that uh, we have no uh, hard border reimposed on the island of Ireland, that we see protection of the Good Friday Agreement, Mm. the resilience of the all-island economy is maintained, and that our economy, both regional and national, has access to the single European market. That was provided for under the terms of the protocol. Yep. Clearly, 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 there have been some issues in relation to the smooth operation implementation of the protocol. Mm. It now appears as though we have a deal between the British government and the European Commission that has swept those uh, concerns away, and that we're now in a position to ensure that the protocol is operated uh, in the interests of all of our businesses across the island, and particularly in the north. Sure, but Sinn Sinn Féin said the protocol was acceptable, that business should accept the protocol, that the DUP and the British government should accept the protocol. The DUP said no, they were criticised by Sinn Féin for that, and now look what they've achieved. Parcels, pets, medicines, plants, potatoes, sausages, it's all back to normal. VAT and excise have been set now in Westminster. What the overriding concern here is that we have certainly instability for our local businesses. There was never any legitimate excuse for bringing down the institutions on the pretext of a disagreement over the uh, the protocol. There should now be no further delay. The but would you not give credit where it's due and what the DUP has achieved here? The, the power sharing executive should be restored with immediate effect. The DUP can take uh, as much time as it wants to reflect on and think about mm. whether they are going to accept this uh, new deal or not and, and, and let me remind you and your uh, listeners the DUP have not come out and welcomed this particular deal no. we're, still, we're still in the space of prevarication we're still in the space where the DUP are refusing to indicate one way or another and what I'm saying this morning very clearly is there is no further, de- there is no further excuse for any delay in the restoration of the power sharing executive and institutions in the north. Okay, but will you not give credit where it's due to the DUP for achieving the changes that have come under this agreement that the British government has struck with the European Union, the Windsor framework? From the get-go, Sinn Féin has said, along with wider civic society in the north, joined by the Irish government, that what we need to see is simplicity, certainty and stability for local businesses. I think we've now achieved that outcome. Who has? Sinn Féin, the Irish government... But what has Sinn Sinn Féin done to to, to shape this this deal? This isn't about the DUP. But if you really want to talk about the DUP, the question has to be when the DUP are now going to go back into the political institutions and restore power sharing in the north. That's where the focus needs to Mm. be at this particular time. Okay, but they've proven themselves to be shrewd negotiators and they've delivered for the people of Northern Ireland on issues that Sinn Féin didn't seem to have any real awareness of, certainly what wasn't campaigning on. You said accept the status quo that was the Northern Ireland Protocol. I've been on your show on several occasions in the past discussing these issues and I've repeatedly pointed out where we could ensure that there would be improvements in relation to giving certainty, stability and simplicity to local businesses. I think we've now arrived at that outcome. It's as a result of uh, 
the United Voice of Civic Society, the Irish government, Sinn Féin, and others pointing out that there are smoother ways of ensuring that the um, uh, protocol operates in the interest of, of all of our businesses, both in the north and to the benefit of the island economy. Now let's ensure mm. that the political framework is re-established in, in the north of Ireland in this, what is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. Let's, for God's sake, ensure that we get power sharing put back in place immediately. Mm. Uh, would it not be in the interest of the DUP to go back to the electorate and come back as the biggest party and retain the position of First Minister? Well, those are questions for the DUP to answer. Mm. But I don't think they can any further uh, be given the excuse of allowing, of remaining outside of the institutions. The, the focus needs well, to now be on ensure. No, let me, let me finish okay. this point because it's yeah. really, really important. Oh, I know, this I is know. The 20, this is the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday yeah. Agreement. This is the 25th anniversary of, of our peace settlement being arrived at. And we have a situation where the institutions have been crashed by the DUP. Mm. They've remained down for over 12 months. That is unacceptable. They've used the figly for the excuse of the protocol as, as, as a reason for doing so. We now have a deal, which we all wanted to see struck between the, Euro- uh, the European Commission and the British government. That has been achieved. Our business organisations, and I met many of them yesterday, are saying that they are welcoming the opportunities that we now have the potential to open up. Mm. Unique access to the single European market unfettered, Mm. as well as access to the British single market Mm. unfettered. Now, let's get on with the business of ensuring that the protocol is smoothly implemented. And as your Prime Minister said there a few moments ago, everybody's British. I mean, when it comes to it, uh, there is... Uh, little doubt that if the DUP returns after an election as the biggest party with the First Minister, that Sinn Féin was totally wrong-footed by them. This is not about elections. This is about whether the DUP are going to now show the political will Mm. to restore power sharing in the North. We had an election last May. Sinn Féin emerged as the largest party. We made a promise to the electorate that we would appoint a first minister for all and that we would put in place a progressive power-sharing executive that would act in the interests of all of our citizens. Since May of last year, democracy has been denied and the outcome of that election has been defied by the intransigence of the DUP. Now, if this deal has allowed us to clear a space and clear a way for the restoration of the institutions, that is a very good thing. Mm. And that's where our our united and our collective political focus must be. Do you not ensuring accept the point that, the that the DUP, it's, a political, it's, a, it's a political question. You say it's not about poli- politics, but there's political parties at the centre of this. So uh, it's very much a, a political question. And the political question has to do with how they managed wrongly, as you say, to collapse the institutions for over a year at this stage. Uh, and uh, that uh, in that interim period, Sinn Féin accepted direct rule from London. Uh, and now there's the prospect that they could go back to the electorate and come back with the largest party in Stormont, uh, which would be a political, uh, I don't know what you would call it, but a real victory for them, wouldn't it? If you want to talk about politics, then let's put the focus where it should be politically, and that is the restoration of the political institutions and power sharing in the North. Hmm. There is now no longer any excuse or reason for the institutions to remain collapsed. There is no election arising from this deal. Mm. There is a council election on the 18th of May, and I think it would be absolutely foolhardy 
for anyone to suggest that there can be even a tenuous connection arrived at between the uh, deal which has been struck between the British government and the European Commission mm. and the outcome of those council elections. What people in the north are crying out for at this point in time, in the middle of a cost of living crisis, of course, yeah. where, where we have a, a health service in the north as a result of 12 years of Tory austerity, which is in crisis, mm. where we have industrial unrest over the fact that local workers and the public sector are being ripped off. They're not getting access to fair deal, yeah. fair pay settlements. Mm. We need an executive in place that is going to stand up for public services and stand up for workers and families. I don't think there's the any rational I, I don't think there's any rational thinking person who would disagree with anything that you've just said there, but how long will you uh, allow it to go on uh, that there is no government in Northern Ireland because the DUP may not accept this deal, uh, predominantly it seems because of the role of the European Court of Justice which will be the ultimate arbiter. So if it decides not to take its seats how long can that continue? Well it should never have continued this long and it is no longer tenable. It is unsustainable for the DUP to hold out in the aftermath of this deal being struck and in circumstances where the DUP continue to, to hold out, where they continue to prevaricate, where they continue to refuse to allow for the democratic institutions to be re-established, then I think we have to have the will of democratic opinion across the island, north and south, as well as internationally, bringing the maximum level of pressure to bear on the DUP to finally make their mind up and say, are they now willing to go with the, the democratic opinion, the outcome of the last election? Are they willing to serve with a Sinn Féin First Minister for All and mm. a progressive power-sharing executive, or, or is there another agenda? And I think that the DUP now are fast approaching the point where they're going to be smoked out on that particular issue. I'd much prefer to see DUP colleagues join us in a progressive power-sharing executive mm. that stands up for workers and families and defends public services. But that is a question that you need to put to the DUP. Okay. The sooner we get an answer to that question, the better. May I just say this, Mike? Yeah. Because there's, there's a huge amount of discussion about what is happening at this particular point in time, and, and rightly so. There's a wider discussion taking place around constitutional change in our right. island. And Sinn Féin is holding... Uh, a very important People's Assembly for the, the people of Armagh, Down and Louth in the Carrickdale Hotel on the 30th of March. Mm. It's one of the People's Assemblies we're organising across the island under the auspices of our Commission on the Future uh, of, 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 of Ireland. Mm. And what we want to do is create a democratic space for as many people as possible from across those three counties in the Carrickdale Hotel to participate in another unique opportunity to bottom out the kind of ideas that we all have, the aspirations we have, the the considerations, the ideas, the Mm. thoughts that we have about how we can manage change into the future for the benefit of all of our people on the basis of a new constitutional national democracy. And I would really, really like to extend a warm invitation to uh, as many of your listeners as possible to come along and participate Mm. in that unique Democratic the there, have already been, there have already been three events organised by the party mm-hmm. in Belfast, in County Donegal and in Derry City. They've been packed out events. They have mm-hmm. been really exceptionally well organised and they have been hugely valuable. Yeah, And we're, we're very happy to facilitate that message. That's the People's Assembly on the 30th of March in the Carrickdale uh, and the contributions will feed into Sinn Féin's submission to the Commission on the Future of, of Ireland uh, and we'll repeat that again in in a moment, but what happens over the coming days, I think, may 
shape that conversation to some degree because if the DUP had lost out uh, on its demands and stayed out, uh, well then there was talk uh, of perhaps how that may push a uh, uh, border poll closer uh, but if they come out of this victorious and take up their seats and even uh, force an election and come back as the biggest party in Stormont uh, well then that surely parks the idea of a border poll does it not? The only winners coming out of uh, the outcome of this deal are local businesses, workers and families across the island of Ireland. The winner needs to be democracy. Let's get power sharing restored in the north of Ireland. That's what our people need. That's going to be the benefit of how we maximise the celebration of this, the 25th anniversary of the Good Friday Agreement. That's how we'll ensure that the North-South Ministerial Council is restored, which ensures that we have all of the political and economic synergies working to best effect across the island of Ireland. So let's, let's keep our eye on the prize. The prize needs to be the restoration of power sharing in the north of Ireland. And let's ensure that the the days of vetoes and blockades by political unionism and the DUP are consigned to the dustbin of history. Okay, The Armagh Down Loud Assembly, Sinn Féin Assembly in uh, the Cardale Hotel on the 30th of March for people who do wish to join you. Thank you for joining us this morning, Declan. Thank you indeed. Declan Kearney is an MLA for South Antrim and Sinn Féin's national chairperson. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's talk about uh, politics south of uh, the border and if it is worth it or not. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and columnist with the Mead Chronicle, joins us now uh, because there's a pay increase for TDs from today. Gavin, tell us a little bit more if you would, please. Yeah, no, wish, wish I was getting alongside the Michael. Good morning to you and your listeners. Um, it, it is a pay increase. Strictly speaking, for everybody in the public sector, this is the terms of the last public sector pay deal that there were to be uh, a couple of dates upon which uh, previous pay cuts were unwound or then previous uh, pay commitments would be honoured. So there is a 2% increase uh, for the lion's share of public servants today and politicians' pay is tied to that of uh, public servants. So right now, as of today, uh, they're going to be getting another 2% on top of their their annual pay. uh, But what that really amounts to um, is the fact that it's now going to be the case that TDs will be earning more than they ever did before. Uh, the peak of their salary around the time of the Celtic Tiger years was around about €106,500. Uh, it was progressively cut over the course of austerity. I think it bottomed out at about 88000 Still, nice work if you can get it, but that was the lowest that it's been. And now, because of all those cuts being unwound and because of uh, then further increases, including today, uh, the pain now stands at, roughly speaking, about 107000 close to 108. Thousand euro a year, which is now the highest that TDs have ever been paid in the history of the state. Okay, and senators are to see an increase uh, in similar amounts as well, but of course they're not paid quite as much. Yeah, no, their 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 standard pay, their they their pay bottomed out at somewhere in around uh, sixty or sixty five thousand. So I think I don't have a figure in front of me, but mm. I suspect now their pay would come in at around about seventy thousand, which um, obviously not on the same level mm. as TDs. But when you take into re- uh, regard the fact that technically speaking the Shannon was always intended to be or or conceived of as only being something of a part-time role that it wasn't intended to be a full-time job and indeed for, for some members of the Shannon it is still not a full-time job that they still do have have other things going on on the side like for example Michael McDowell still practicing as a barrister uh, it does make for a pretty tidy income if you're able to combine it with something else but even as a standalone job uh, for something which entails basically three three light enough days of parliamentary work per week on a Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday 
pretty much no duties on a Monday or Friday. Uh, it's still pretty nice to be able to take home €70,000 a year for that amount of work. OK, the role of uh, Taoiseach commands a salary of €230,372 a year, the tarnished at €212,499 a year, and a, a minister to be paid €195,161 a, a year. But uh, not all of the politicians ex- uh, accept all of the pay that they're entitled to. No, so there are some TDs who, because of their stance on the spectrum, just don't believe that any kind of pay increase at all is warranted, irrespective of how politicians' pay is, is not assessed by them themselves, but rather it's, it's tied to uh, certain grades in the public service. So, for example, Sinn Féin and the TDs from People for Profit Solidarity have already indicated that they don't intend to, to take this or that they will now increase the amount of the salary that they already forego because they just don't believe that, particularly in the current climate, that it's warranted for politicians to be earning so much more and the, and then the average man on the street. Just when you outlined what the, the salaries are for a teacher for Thornish and ministers as well, mm. it is worth stressing that um, there is something of a standing rule, and uh, um, we'll probably spend a lot of the day checking today to see exactly whether it's still being honoured, the degree to which it's still being honoured, um, but that there is a, a stance that whenever there is an increase in the salary of a TD, it has been the practice in previous years that ministers forego the same amount out of the ministerial portion of their salary. So the way that, that, that the Taoiseach and Taunashta and other ministers are paid is that technically they get two wages. They get one wage attached to the role of the TD and then a separate salary on top of that mm. for the duties of the minister. All and right. what often happens is that they forego some of the ministerial bit to make up for anything that they're increasing in the, in the TD side. So in net terms, uh, they don't come out any better off. But I suspect we'll spend a lot of today trying to check up with ministers and spokespersons to check whether that's still the case. OK, I think the Taoiseach uh, gifts back about 25000 of what he's uh, entitled to. But are they being paid a lot of money or, or not? And I think there's probably two ways of looking at that. You look at their salaries in comparison uh, to politicians elsewhere, whether it's uh, the President of uh, the United States or France or, or whatever. Uh, and it seems like they're getting paid an awful lot, given we're such a small country. But then on the other hand, uh, you look at, at their salaries in comparison to what some of the civil servants are being paid, which at times is multiple of what the politicians are getting. Yeah, there's always two ways of looking at it. So, for example, it's been the case for, I think, about 80 or 90 years now that the President of the United States commands the salary of four hundred thousand uh, dollars, which, when you convert it into euro, will be three hundred and eighty thousand, give or take. Um, which, obviously, you know, when you consider, when you think that the Taoiseach is getting paid notionally two hundred and thirty thousand, you sort of wonder how is that justified, or how any one of the mill TD could be getting paid one hundred and eight thousand, which is almost a third of what the President of the United States gets. But the, like, it, I suppose it, it all compares to the other things that you get. For example, there is no, yeah, you know, strictly speaking, the role of Taoiseach doesn't come with. A residence, you're allowed to use Farmley, but then there's actually a nominal charge every night that the Taoiseach wants or needs to stay in Farmley in the residence that's attached to him uh, versus in America where you know, or, in, or in the UK where um, the, the head of the government also gets a pretty nice uh, pad and, and a lot of the food and other things are paid for. You get a personal plane when you're the President of the United okay. States, which is nice work if you can get it. So there's, there's lots of other benefits in kind. Now, of course, there will be people saying, well, hang on, on top of the, the salary of 108000 there are pretty hefty expenses or allowances for TDs as well and that much is true um, but I suppose on the flip side if those allowances didn't exist you'd have a situation where TDs would say you'd be complaining that TDs weren't doing enough to keep a profile in their constituencies so a lot of those allowances and they are often mistaken as expenses but they are just allowances that are paid up front um, allowances for them to maintain a constituency office or allowances for them to maintain a car because it's expected that they'd be driving up and down to Dublin for work and driving around their constituencies as well. So mm. um, you would probably complain that if, if the salary was a mere €108,000 
but you're on the road to Dublin three days a week and you're expected to drive around a large rural constituency that's very suddenly you'd find the, the pay being chipped away at. So there's probably an argument that it's necessary because otherwise you mightn't be able to attract people into the job. OK, we're going to be hearing a lot about Niall Collins or a lot more about Niall Collins uh, this week uh, because the junior minister asked the Ceann Corley yesterday for time to make a statement in the Dáil. That didn't happen. It may happen today or tomorrow. What, what, what are you expected to hear from Niall Collins? That much, to be honest, isn't totally true because uh, we there had been calls yesterday morning from multiple opposition parties for Noel Collins to, <clears throat> to make a statement. Excuse me, <clears throat> but what we what we didn't know really was what he was going to add beyond to uh, the press release and the statement that he put out uh, late on Monday night. Anyway, when he said that elements of the story reported by the website The Ditch um, were inaccurate or false, and that he was taking legal advice on them and insisting that he was fully compliant with with all of the various planning rules. Now, on the face of it. Superficially, obviously, this case bears a lot of resemblance to the issues surrounding Damien English, the idea that uh, a TD or a public representative might have misrepresented their case um, to their local authority and ended up getting planning permission that they may not otherwise have qualified for or deserved. Um, Niall Collins, in his case, though, says that that wasn't the case at all, that the he alleges that the website The Ditch has somehow misunderstood or itself misrepresented uh, the way in which the planning rules work in Limerick and the rules surrounding there being a local housing need. So he, he says that there's nothing mm. to defend. So which really then goes back to, to go back to your question, what are we expecting him to say? Well, we don't know really what beyond uh, what is what he's already put out in the statement. Maybe there is more detail or maybe he's got some more information to put out there regarding exactly how the planning rules worked. Um, there are a couple of other um, things which, which don't seem very straightforward on the case of So, for example, um, was there a newspaper ad placed in his name advertising the planning application, but was it actually placed in the name of Niall O'Connor, O'Connor actually being his wife's surname rather than he himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, if that was the case, was he responsible for it? Uh, why was it the case that uh, multiple planning applications that were put in the name of his wife used different spellings or misspellings of the name Emer? Uh, and in one case, what, why is the paperwork referred to somebody called Neil Collins, N-E-I-L, rather than Niall Collins? Now, all of those just may be some bureaucratic error or some oversight on the part of a third party working on his behalf or... So that much we don't know. It it does add to the sense of of innuendo or the whiff of gunpowder around Mm. all of this, which is maybe the reason why he feels like he needs to be uh, fully forthright in the door. Uh, One thing to note, though, is that he's only prepared to make that doll statement when he's got all the details to hand and once he's spoken to all the relevant parties, which does at least show that the government is learning from the Pascal Donoghue affair and not having a minister going in making a statement and then realising that they didn't have the full fact at their disposal. Yeah, and the Irish Independent is reporting this morning that the actual planning application mentions Neil Collins at least five times uh, for housing on his father's land, uh, apparently. Uh, And the question is... uh, was he living in his parents' house or was he living in another house um, that he was the owner of? And yeah. Did that yeah, so, so yeah, and, and, and it's all quite confusing. So yeah. The planning yeah. application yeah. appears to stay in black and white that he needs the house because he's currently living with his parents and yeah. there's reason to think that that isn't the case. But even if that wasn't the case or if that was some sort of error or misrepresentation on his form, it still may be the case that he actually still qualified um, for, uh, for planning permission under the council's own policies at the time anyway so that, that's mm. kind of what we need okay. to get to the bottom of right. and, and w- without sounding like it's making too many excuses for Niall Collins there was a similar issue and again reported by the ditch a few months ago where Niall Collins was alleged to be the owner of a certain plot but that he hadn't included it in his register of members interests but if you go away and look at the land registry records actually his wife is the sole owner of it and Niall Collins has nothing to do with it at all so mm. it may well be the case that someone else has been sloppy with paperwork on its behalf and that there isn't actually any um, 
the findings of faults on the part of Val Collins himself, but we'll just have to wait and see. Okay, I'm sure we'll get a full explanation. Uh, big day for the Social Democrats today. Yeah, very much so. This only emerged on, on Sunday that Holly Cairns would be the only candidate for the leadership. So, strictly speaking, at 12 noon today, uh, Catherine Murphy and Roisin Shortall turn into pumpkins uh, at the stroke of noon, and, and Holly Cairns becomes the new leader of the Social Democrats. And there will be uh, a more formal unveiling later in the afternoon. So they're planning a press event at around three o'clock where Holly Cairns will speak to not only her colleagues in the parliamentary party, but also other Social Democrat councillors and sort of address the party faithful for the first time as leader. Um, But before that, when she becomes a leader at 12 noon, um, she will be busy because she actually has some dull work to do Uh, on a Wednesday. Social Democrats have a slot at leaders' questions, so if people tune into to the TV later in the day and watch leaders' questions live at 12 noon, they will see Holly Cairns officially take the status of party leader while mm. she is literally in the door chamber and she will be then taking leaders' questions as a leader. And, and maybe you can read something into um, the party's view of what is the job of politics that she won't be having a hoolie before she has performed her first task as the actual leader, and that's questioning okay. the teacher. Flanked by pumpkins. You obviously had a hearty breakfast this morning, Gavin. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much indeed, very as always. Gavin Riley, political correspondent with Virgin Media News and columnist with The Mead Chronicle. Michael Reed on LMFM. The Children's Rights Alliance has published its annual report card. It's uh, the third analysis of how the current programme for government has been delivering for children in this country. And to be fair to it and to give it in its round, it gives the government two A's, five B's, four C's, four D's and one E. Um, And we didn't get two A's last year. Um, And I think it is worth... uh, noting uh, that they've given us two A's, uh, one in relation to enacting the Harassment and Harmful Communications Bill, which protects children from some of the things that happen online, uh, and also the enactment of the Online Safety and Media Regulation Bill and the establishment of the Online Commissioner um, by Catherine Martin. Uh, there are five B's in other areas, and um, I won't go into the detail on that. People can read it f- for themselves. Uh, on the issue of homelessness, um, we get a B in one category and a D- minus in the other. Uh, the B is for the development of our uh, national youth homeless strategy. Uh, the D, which is up from an E last year, um, but still bad, uh, is a reduction in the number of homeless families. And that is because, and I acknowledge this, uh, the number of homeless families um, uh, hasn't come down uh, and has increased slightly uh, indeed uh, in, in recent months. And that's not uh, at all acceptable and not desirable from the part of government. That's the Taoiseach Leo Vradker speaking in the Dáil yesterday about the Children's Rights Alliance report card. Let's speak to Tanya Ward, who's CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance. Good morning, Tanya, and thanks for joining us on the programme today. Good morning. Uh, obviously, a lot of uh, good parts to how the government is performing and some not so good. We didn't hear the Taoiseach mention there the grade E for uh, children's mental health. Yeah, that's right. I mean, I'd say overall, to be honest, it's probably one of the best report cards that we've published in relation to the government. And the the two areas where the government might be struggling is on family homelessness and in relation to uh, psychiatric care and mental health for children. What kind of, I suppose, jumped out for us on the mental health side of things was the fact that the numbers of children waiting for CAMS nearly doubled between last year uh, and September 2022. And uh, alongside that, even though the government has done well uh, in relation to trying to really bring down the numbers of children that end up in adult psychiatric care. Uh, So if you can imagine, you'll have situations where 
children might be very emotionally distressed and they might be suicidal um, they might have a serious eating disorder uh, and often the only way in to the mental health services is in A&E particularly if it's after hours and sometimes some of those children have ended up in adult psychiatric care about 19 uh, in in the year and I suppose, and that, the reason for that is there just there aren't twenty four hour care facilities, but also there aren't enough beds and mm. mental health uh, facilities for children. And what struck us last year was the government actually put legislation in place to just pave the way to continue this practice. And and this is something we know when we talk to children and young people, they've asked us to try and end this because they find it very distressing. Because you know it is you end up in A and E as a as a teenager and you're emotionally distressed. It's probably the most difficult time in your life. Mm. And I, I take it quite often the hospital uh, can't do anything for the child uh, because uh, they don't have uh, the appropriate staff, psychiatrists or psychologists at hand. Yeah, often what, what seems to happen is, let's say the young person might end, you might be admitted on a Friday and they might have to wait till the Monday. So the hospital is just kind of holding on to the young person over the weekend until the uh, the child and youth psychiatrists arrive uh, on, on the scene. And I mean, it, you know, the, 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 you know, they are very different, adults and youth mental health facilities. Um, if you've ever been in yourself, you see them. I visited people in the adult facilities and I've seen the youth facilities. They're very different. Um, and then you're also with other adults as well who are emotionally distressed in the adult facilities. And you're not with staff that are trained to work with you. And, and that all makes a huge difference when you're in this very distressed state. Mm. And what is it, over 4,000 children waiting for a first appointment? Yeah, that's what the stats said of September last year. And I suppose what we worry about in relation to that is, you know, looking behind the statistics, what's happening for a child that might be waiting. Um, And there's, there's there's a very significant number of children on that list that are waiting up to a year. And we know often they've, they've been on a long journey often before the GP has referred them to, to CAMS. And when they're waiting for services, you know, they often don't go to stop. They stop going to school. They find it very difficult. They withdraw from their friends, you know, their and their friend circle. Um, they might be in a very distressed state. They might be self-harming. Um, if there's an eating disorder, it's probably getting worse. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, and then the, the issue that I suppose parents and, and young people themselves are very worried about this kind of suicide. You know, when they're mm. in a very distressed state, is that what, is that what can happen when someone's waiting long term for, for calm services? So, we, we know that you know most mental health conditions they usually emerge in the teenage years, and a few actually intervene early in those teenage years. You know, it, it, like mental health services can be life changing, and you know you may not end up in services later on in life because the intervention in your teenage years has has really made the difference. Okay, that's an age-old problem. You're concerned, as you said, about homelessness, uh, which is a decade-long problem. Uh, And you're also concerned about direct provision, uh, which uh, is a a system that's been in place for over a a decade uh, as well, but uh, you had been hopeful about yeah, I mean, last year, I mean, the government published um, a white paper on ending direct provision and, you know, it was it had a great vision for what the future was going to look like and it was going to have new reception centres for people when they arrive and then after a certain point in time being accommodated in, in local communities around the country. And what unfortunately has happened is the war in Ukraine that has put enormous pressures on the state. Um, they've accommodated in, in a year over 50,000 uh, Ukrainians. So, I mean, it's been 
an enormous achievement. You know, that Ireland has stood up and and has has played a role in intervening in in this war, and that's how we've done it. We've we've supported Ukrainian refugees to arrive. But alongside that, the numbers of people seeking protection also increased. So it just put enormous pressure on the government to to roll out the white paper. And um, we are in a situation now is, you know, they're finding it very difficult to find accommodation and they're resulting in having to kind of use office spaces and partition them and, you know, mm. very quickly. And they're not always suitable for families and children. So it's, it's a very challenging situation. And, you know, the, if you meet the people who are doing this work, I mean, they're working around the clock to try and, and keep up with, with, with the numbers. And I suppose really what we need to see now happen is we need an executive agency to take this on. You know, in Dublin, housing is delivered by the Dublin executive agency. The councils do it around, around the country. That's probably the only way forward now because um, we, we need to move to a more kind of permanent solution. Um, even though the numbers have fallen to some mm. degree, um, it's still a lot of pressure. And it's a lot of pressure, like, I mean, t- to be fair, the hoteliers have really stepped up and really supported um, the arrival of Ukrainians in this country. And I know communities are saying now, it's time we're going to, you know, we need to bring tourism back into our communities as well. So the best solution is to try and come up with an executive agency and try and come up with, you know, more housing solutions so we don't put pressure on, on the housing markets. And what about housing? Uh, I mean, uh, we've this incredible problem, uh, which is now commonplace or it's become almost acceptable, acceptable or normalised. Uh, three and a half thousand children in, in emergency accommodation or thereabouts. Um, and concerned that that will uh, escalate, uh, that the numbers will increase at the end of this month when the eviction ban runs out. Yeah, I mean, and actually the government did better this year on housing than last year. And the reason for that is, you know, they did take action by introducing rent freezes and the eviction ban. And look, it is very difficult for landowners, particularly landlords who are very small landow- uh, landlords around the country, and they'll, they'll say this, but it has actually worked because it, the numbers have increased of children in, in homeless accommodation. But I'll tell you, it was going to be far worse if they um, if they hadn't introduced the ban, uh, 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 the eviction ban and the rent freezes. So we'd say they'd need to continue with those measures, to be honest, to give them a bit more time because... There are record numbers of housing coming on stream, but, you know, it's from a low base and it's going to take time to address the housing crisis. So these emergency measures are are going to be necessary for a period of time, uh, I think, if we're going to address uh, the housing crisis. Um, I mean, it it, it is very challenging, the housing piece, though, to be honest. Mm. And uh, I, I do think it's going to be a national effort, local councils, probably the government themselves trying to build affordable housing uh, and public housing to make sure that people who are very vulnerable but also working people on low incomes can get a roof over their heads because I think that's the biggest thing you know across the board is the price of rent is really hitting families hard so even families with good incomes are really struggling uh, with with putting food on the table because of the cost of rent. Okay. Huge challenge, as you say, Tanya, uh, one of many, but a lot of positives, as we heard the Taoiseach say in your report as well, in terms of the government's performance. Thank you indeed for joining us today, as always. Tanya Ward, CEO of the Children's Rights Alliance. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now to a mystery. We're going to Brownstown, Navin, to speak to Gemma Agnew. A very good morning to you, Gemma, and thanks for joining us on the programme. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to your listeners. How, How are you today? 
Well, we we couldn't sleep in the house. We slept out in the van last night. Right, that's not the first time you've slept in no, the van. No, 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 no. We actually have been looking for somewhere to stay and we can't get anywhere. Now, we did have a, a week with a neighbour. I would like to thank that gentleman. I won't mention his okay. name, but he, he, he knows who it is. We stayed there for a week. Mm, okay. Um, this is because of a noise, a mystery noise. You're, t- tell us about the noise that you're hearing. Well, the noise that I'm hearing, it sounds like, it sounds like um, there's something running. It's a motor of some description. I'm not sure whether it's a heavy motor or whether it's a Mohammed heavy. Right. But it, it, I'm not 100% sure. But we thought it was a generator, but the electricity went out in our area and um, there was a party on and the party stopped and our mystery night stopped, as you said, as well. Okay. Um, so, uh, so it's an electrical motor that, that's on. Right. Uh, and it's uh, enough to keep you uh, awake or to stop you from going asleep or to wake you up? Well, it's it's it's... It's not like a really, really what you call, uh, it's an irritating. It's irritating, to say the least, Michael. Mm. That's, that's uh, to say the least of it. Okay. Now, I have a funny feeling we were, we were having a noise, and I have a funny feeling that maybe, I'm not 100% sure, that the ward got out around and that somebody has tried to do something with it and they have made it worse. Oh, Right. I'm not 100% sure on that, but just, uh, that's my opinion. I could be wrong. Right. Now, now you were on to the council. Yes. Uh, and they came out to inspect, didn't they? They came out. They came out. One guy came out in the daytime. He didn't come into the house. Uh, then in our October or so of this year, a gentleman came out and a lady, and they came into the house, and it was windy day, and they didn't hear the noise. Mm-hmm. So they've been, they've, been out a few, they've been out on a few uh, occasions and uh, they well, weren't able to hear the noise, let alone establish what the source of it was. Well, they were out. One man was out once and the other man and the lady was with us just once. Mm. Okay. That's, that's all. There wasn't a lot of times. There was a man, I rang the EPA, a gentleman came out from the EPA only on a courtesy call to us. Right. He wouldn't. He wouldn't give us a report because he didn't use any device. How long is this going on? It's gone on since Christmas, twelve months. Right. That's a long uh, time. And, and as as we speak now, Michael, it's yeah. still on. Right. Uh, and in June uh, of last year, the council carried out a, a three-hour noise survey. No, no. Sorry, Michael. That was that was a factory. Yeah. Not far from us that actually actually did the nice thing. It wasn't the Mead County Council. Right. It was actually a business, should I say. A business. Okay, that was a local meat processing plant. So they so they carried out a, that noise survey themselves. Uh, but the yes, re, the report yes. was sent on to the council uh, and they couldn't find anything in it. No, no, the report was sent on to the EPA and the EPA guy sent it on to the council. Mm. Uh, and that was, yes. But th- that, that company is just doing a test to cover themselves because it's not them that's making the noise. Right, okay. Well, that, they, that, that, they did the test for themselves. And I suppose that's fair enough, uh, but yeah. it continues to be a, a mystery. Uh, and do you only hear this noise in the house? 
It's in the house and in the shed. Right. As well. And when you sleep in the van, how close is the van to the house? It's up the fields. It's a good way. We go into the fields. And right. we have went into other land. Right. We have other land away. So you're far enough away from the noise, you think? Yes. Okay. I, 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 yes, yes. I think, the, I think the noise is not 100 miles away. Right, okay. I, I, I was speaking to you privately the other day and I asked you a question then that I'll ask you now because I'm sure listeners are, are wondering the same thing. Would it be tinnitus? No, no, no. Definitely not. Uh, you, 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 you've asked your doctor about that? Yes, we've been in with the doctor and one of the councilmen that actually called out said, would it be that? And I spoke to my doctor and my doctor says, we couldn't have tinnitus. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Listen, the two of us all at once. Mm, yourself and your husband. Yes. Yes, we're clear with that. Mm. It, 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 it is something that's going on. Now, either it's going on doing a job and the person or people, whichever it is, that's using it mightn't hear us as well as us. Mm. Maybe we're getting an echo. We live, if you have um, the map there, mm-hmm. if you look at our situation, we have... We're 200, we're about 200 uh, kilometres, like 200 yards. Yards. And yeah. 300, like, from, like, the road, mm. a good bit. And this, like, we have a river behind us, and we're, we're in a hollow as well. Right. So that all, that all can add up to to things as well, I would I would imagine. And it comes uh, and goes, obviously, because if well, the well, council were out and that and they couldn't hear it... Uh, well, the, nobody, nobody actually, nobody actually came out at night on Michael. Right, it's and worse at night. Everywhere else gets so quiet and dead, yeah. we have it. Hmm. Now, the times that it comes on is very... Like, to me, it doesn't seem like somebody is coming home from work, say. Mm-hmm. Or somebody is doing something like the times are way off, you know. And are you, are you sleeping in the van every night for the last fourteen, well, fifteen months? Well, we were during the summer. We were sleeping it for about four months, right? And then, then like it was warm, and then it was cold. My husband has has a lung problem, and um, it was getting a bit kind of stuffy. But last night, like we have had it, we have checked all around to get something. We have to stay on, on site, mm. really, here. And we can't get anywhere to stay Okay. until we get this. And the most important thing of the whole lot, the county council are looking for. We have had some councillors on the job. Some them, Nobody has done anything for mm. us, mm. really. What, what we really want is, for to solve this problem is, we need a company that will actually come now I'm willing willing to pay them. Right. I have rang about twenty companies, and I'm more out at this stage ringing the companies and right. all. And okay. nobody will actually. I don't know why nobody will actually take on a private house. Right. Okay. 
that's that's the biggest problem. And the and the council are looking for us to find where the source is. Yeah. Now we ha- we have an idea. Mm, we mm, have mm, an idea, mm. but I would like it tested and on a piece of paper to say if we have to go further about it, which we don't know. My husband has already been been looking for his solicitor, which he is waiting for a call today from mm, him mm. to get some advice from him. Yeah, well, you're obviously at the end of your tether, like. Yeah, well, yes, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. kind of which we're not going to do it. It's yeah. a case of throw away the key, mm. and we're well, not going to do that. Mm. Well, I suppose there's a, years here. I suppose there's a couple husband. of questions, isn't there, Gemma? One is if anybody uh, in or around Brownstown uh, has heard this noise, uh, because they could support what you're saying uh, for the sake of the council and if there's I'm not sure even what kind of a, a company does that testing but it'd be some sort of specialised company who'd be able to test uh, for the source of a, a noise like that It's, it's given a vibration as well Michael Oh really? Okay. It's a sort of a bit of, a bit of a, a movement as well Well I'm feeling it anyway, maybe I'm yeah. sensitive to that, I don't actually know Right but okay. as I said, um, any little bit of help or support at this, I wouldn't I wouldn't look for any. Mm. I've never looked for anything. Mm. But this was this is actually a lovely quiet place. Now we have another problem. The house could be two hundred to three hundred years old. Okay. And the noise is going through it very but we have how, how, how long how long are you living there? I'm living here I'd say thirty years anyway. Right. And this only started about fifteen well, months ago. Well, yes, roughly, which, yeah. Which is a very long time, but <laughs> out of the thirty years it's a relatively new problem. Okay. It's on as I speak now. I can feel a bit of vibration and I'm sitting in, in the, where we eat. We, we'll, we'll call it the dining room. Right. Or, or kitchen mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And as I said, um, nobody, nobody has, they have called out and all, but what we need is mm. somebody to test. To, like the other company, thanks to them, they did a test. Mm. Much appreciated. They have cleared themselves. Okay. All right, Gemma. Well, no, listen. Sorry. I mean, it's it's a mystery, uh, and uh, you're well, in. Come you, on, Michael. Yeah, it, like really, I wouldn't make up this story. Oh, no, I know. I don't. I know. No, I know that. But, yeah, um, yeah. as I said, we're at our, at our wit's end. And if anybody can help, uh, if anybody has heard the noise and they can uh, get in touch with you through us or um, through directly to the council, or if somebody can help uh, to uh, establish the source of it, a specialised company, I think you'd be looking for who'd uh, monitor noise like that. Uh, obviously, we can put them in touch with you as well. You're in Brownstown in Navan. Yeah. Uh, and the mystery continues for the moment, Gemma. Hopefully we'll be able to come back uh, with some good news after the 15 months of noise that's been driving you mad. Listen, thanks for take, talking to me this morning. I'm not sure what else we can do for the moment. We will come back to you as soon as we hear from anybody, if we do hear from anyone at all. That's uh, Gemma Agnew. Now, uh, we'd uh, text uh, from somebody about uh, the Windsor framework saying, Michael, read between the lines, the hardliners in London did not rise up. The DUP is caught out. It was all about keeping Sinn Féin out of the top job. They don't want to serve under Sinn Féin uh, as second in command and that's what it's all about. Well, that would be the Deputy First Minister, which is a role of equal importance, apparently. Uh, Rose in touch with us about the increase in pay for TDs and Rose says, 
Michael, I think the nurses should be the top of uh, the list when it comes to getting pay increases for the Trojan work that they do. And ministers should be down at the bottom of the list. Well, thank you indeed for your WhatsApp uh, and uh, for your message today. If you want to make comment on our programme, as always, we'd love to hear from you. Our telephone number is 0419832000. You can text or WhatsApp 0861800658 or you can email michael at lmfm.ie. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Well, good news uh, for small and medium uh, business. Uh, that is if uh, their electricity is supplied by Electric Ireland because their bills are to be cut by 10%. Unfortunately, uh, the same discounts won't apply to households. It is welcome that two companies so far have announced price reductions. Uh, Pinergy has announced reductions for retail customers and Electric Ireland has announced reductions for its business customers. Um, but it's not enough. Uh, It's nowhere near enough. Uh, Wholesale prices are now coming down. I understand that there is a lag between wholesale prices coming down and retail prices for homeowners and businesses coming down. Uh, I get that, Um, but it shouldn't be too much of a lag. Uh, It only took a few months for prices to go up. It should only take a few months for prices to go down. And we expect to see uh, electricity and gas companies uh, reduce their prices uh, over the course of the next months. Uh, for businesses and for uh, residential customers as well. And it won't just be about polite encouragement. Um, there's a windfall tax coming. That's the Taoiseach Leo Bradker speaking in the Dáil yesterday. Let's speak to Sinn Féin's spokesperson on energy, Darren O'Rourke, who's on the line. And a very good morning to you. Thanks for joining us uh, this morning. Uh, good news, as the Taoiseach says, that we're seeing some reductions in prices, but there's a lot of upset uh, about uh, the position that Electric Ireland has taken. Oh, I, I think uh, understandably so, um, because... Um, and, and the, the Taoiseach and the government have come anywhere close to, to actually uh, properly intervene in here. Um, I think there's, yeah, there's, there's huge frustration amongst people because what they, they see is, uh, and I, I always think this, I go back to, um, you know, the economic crash and we're all in it together and, you know, people will, will endure, uh, but when they see a complete double standard, when they see hypocrisy, uh, when they see inequity and unfairness, um, they, they they, they they don't stand for it, you know, and and, and they, they they call it out, um, and I think that's what's what's happening here. So so they see Electric Ireland. Um ESB and others reporting absolutely eye-watering profits. Um, they see them as soon as there is an increase in the wholesale price, increasing time and again. I think there was in excess of 60 electricity and energy price increases in 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 the the last 12 months. Um, so as soon as there's a price increase, there's a there's a response in uh, in the consumer's bill. But when we've had months now since the the, the middle of August, we've had reducing uh, wholesale prices they don't see that uh, in in their own um, in in their own bills and at the same time we have St Vincent de Paul out this morning again saying that there's a 135% increase in the numbers unable to heat their homes we see you know literally hundreds of thousands of people in arrears on domestic electricity and domestic gas and I'll go, I'll go back to it mm. profits um 
you know, Shell's profits at uh, 36 billion euros in 2022. You have companies reporting profits, record profits in, in you know, higher profits than in the last 115 uh, years. Um, you have uh, Corrib Gas reporting, you know, hundreds of millions of profits in the, the mm. first quarter. It's, it's you know, it's it's completely obscene. It's been a great and, war for some of the energy companies. Absolutely, 100%. 100%. And, it's, and it's not as if households don't need it uh, because uh, if you look at the average electricity bill, uh, it's gone from a thousand euro a year to over two thousand euro, two thousand one hundred. Uh, that increase, as you say, of one hundred and thirty-five percent in the number of people seeking help from St Vincent de Paul to help heat their homes uh, is incredible when you look at, at the amount of homes. 377,000 people live in homes that they're not able to heat adequately and that compares to 160,000 in 2021. So people could do with the break. I'm sure business could do with the break, but everybody could do with the break. No, that, that's absolutely the case. And, and, and to go back to the point that there is huge advantage uh, for uh, very many of these energy companies, and, and uh, there's a difference between energy companies. But, for example, if you're a, if you're a gas producer or an oil producer, the, the, your profits have just gone through. Your, your operational costs haven't changed. You're, uh, you're, still, you're still in the same business, but the value of what you're producing, because the market dictates it, have absolutely gone through the roof. If you're a company like... ESB or SSE or, or, or some of these companies who, who have a range of, of portfolios. So they are exposed, they buy wholesale gas, they don't produce it. But um, so that's that's a, a pinch on them on one side. But they are making absolutely eye-watering profits on another element of the business, which is you know wind and and and, and solar. Uh, uh, their 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 renewables portfolios. So so the idea that they would say to us that well we you know we're exposed on the wholesale price of gas. Well well to a limited degree. But the the huge impact of that is having on on, on ordinary customers and on residential customers and on business customers. Customers is 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 completely disproportionate, and you know, in all of this, we know uh, that there are calculations been made um, within within the, the finance departments of all of these companies of, of you know how long can we hold out at these high high prices um, you know and, and, and the Taoiseach talking though about that windfall tax on those extraordinary profits and I suppose the idea of that is that you tax those profits and then you give it back to people one way or another whether that's 200 euro credit off uh, the bill for everybody in the country or whatever way they do it but it goes back to people so really uh, we're not paying as much uh, as maybe those companies would like us to but is it too late for that if uh, the cost of wholesale electricity has dropped and it's dropped pretty dramatically by over 50 percent hasn't it? No, absolutely, and 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 bear in mind that's a like a major criticism that that we would have of government because don't forget, you know, government will point towards the role of the regulator, they'll point towards a, a competitive market, but they they have a hand in in all of this. Um, and for my mind, uh, I can point to a whole range of actions and utterances on behalf of government which to me, is a clear signal to the energy companies that, you know, Ireland is a, is a soft touch in relation to, to, to energy companies and in, in relation to energy profits. For, so, for example, we were the country that resisted, our government resisted energy market reforms as far back as October 2021. We, as recently as, as August of last year, 
our finance minister said windfall taxes were a bad idea, that they would impact on, on uh, our credibility and our, and our ability to, to deliver on renewables. So windfall taxes at a time of record profits were a bad idea. That's our, our minister saying that on, on the public record. Um, whilst other countries were, were moving, and lots of countries have moved in relation to windfall taxes, um, Ireland waited for the European Union to move as a whole. The same in relation to energy price caps. So what what are the, the signals that our government are sending out? The same in relation to something as small as standing charges. You know, the, we, we've let the, the, the companies here shift um, not just onto the, the, the individual tariffs, but also onto the standing charges in a way that, that other countries didn't let, com- uh, let companies get, get away with mm. them. And that all has a, a direct impact on how those companies behave. And then to your point, Michael, about it being too late, um, so we're still waiting for the windfall tax. And, and the Taoiseach said yesterday that, that uh, it, it wouldn't just be polite uh, on, on their behalf. But it's been, it's been absolutely polite on their behalf. There's been no real intervention. Uh, Will it be uh, retrospective? Well, well, that's the, the big question that needs to be asked. And on, on, on the basis of the, the, the EU uh, Council Regulation uh, 1854, it looks like the, the, the windfall tax might only apply from December 2022 until June 2023. So, Every, you know, we're going to have it now, quarter one, they'll be, all these energy companies will be announcing their profits for last year. And there is a serious question mark, in my opinion, based on my read of it, whether uh, it, it, those profits will be applicable for the, the, um, does for that, the windfall does tax. That, does, if that's the case, does that, does that not mean that the government's hands are tied and the energy company's hands are tied? Well, what, well, what it means is that, that the, the absolute record profits that um, that, have, mm. that are being reported um, uh, can be kept by the companies. Yeah, but is that because of uh, Europe's um, uh, but, policy on this? But, but tax is a national competence. We could have moved on this at any stage, Michael. The, the, the government made a decision to wait. Mm. Like other countries have moved. But in line um, with the European windfall taxes, is it not? Isn't that what you just quoted from oh, there? Oh, no, absolutely. Mm. We're yeah. moving in line with the windfall. But we don't mm. have to do that. You know, okay. um, you know, we don't have to do that. That was a clear decision. Okay. Uh, whilst, whilst other countries moved. Um, and, and look, let's be clear. Mm. I'm not saying these things are simple or that there aren't unintended consequences. Mm. Um, but at a time when con- uh, companies are reporting profits, that are eye-watering mm. and that are, you know, directly related to uh, the, the war in Ukraine and yeah. a completely, you know, the markets were never designed for, for this type of uh, situation. So, so in my opinion, mm. you need to respond, reflect the new dispensation, recognise that gas prices are in a place that okay. they, they shouldn't be. But the, our government has been a laggard in all of this. Well, I, I take it that uh, Electric Ireland's pricing has nothing to do with European policy. It is choosing to charge less to small and medium businesses than it is to households. Uh, uh, will you uh, be talking to Electric Ireland? Are they coming before your committee? Yeah, well, we, we've we've called for them to come before the committee and to explain. Now, they've they've made their their. Um 
particular public statement in relation to it and as is as is very often the case you, you get a um a grey response um that that is is light on detail and and talks about complexity and how how there are complex processes in processes and developing uh, their, their pricing structure and that they hedge out into the future and they take different risks on, on different uh, um, customer cohorts. Um, but ultimately, I will constantly point to record profits, profits that these companies have never seen before and a 135% increase in the numbers of people in Ireland who are unable to heat their homes. And those are two statements of fact um, that our government hasn't acted appropriately to resolve. Okay. Darren O'Rourke, uh, Sinn Féin spokesperson on energy. Stay with us for a, a moment uh, because uh, we're going to take a break. But then when we come back from the break, we're going to hear from a, a man who can't afford to, to heat his home. Uh, it's a, a local listener um, who can afford the fuel, uh, can afford to turn it on, but actually isn't able to turn it on because of a, a charge that has been dropped o- on him out of the sky, more or less. Uh, stay with us, uh, as I say, and we'll come back after the break. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, Darren O'Rourke stays with us uh, and we're going to hear uh, about how Leem's cost of heating his home has increased. It's nothing to do with uh, the war. It's nothing to do with uh, the cost of fuel. But the cost of heating your home, Leem, has increased by 8 50 a month all of a sudden. And it comes completely out of uh, the blue as far as you're concerned. Tell us uh, uh, about your situation, if you would, please. How are you doing, Michael? Uh, I, I have a hub controller uh, that it's like a, a digital timer mm. that puts on the heating and turns it off, you know, and I, it's an app on the phone. And I got a message last week from the hub controller, that's the name of the company, and it says that it, I have to start paying from the 28th of February, eight, I think it's 899 or something a month, uh, to continue it. Otherwise, if I don't subscribe to them, they'll come... And they'll stop the app and take the controller mm. off the wall and I have to fit one myself and get an electrician to wire it. Right. Uh, it, you, you, you have gas, don't you? Yeah, it's a gas boiler, yeah. Right. And it has nothing to do with uh, the cost of gas. Uh, before uh, you had uh, this control mechanism, you used to have a, a timer like a, a lot of people would have. Yeah, the clock. Yeah, the clock. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then you uh, applied for one of uh, these hub controls uh, and it was made available under an SEAI grant uh, through Hub Controller, a separate company. That's correct, yeah. Right. And a man just came 15 minutes and he wired it up and he left. He, he, well, he, he, did, he, did, he did a little bit more than that, Liam, didn't he? Because he took out the timer. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yes. He had to replace that old one. So so now when you turn on your heat, uh, you use this hub control or you use the app on your phone? Yeah, I can I can use it from a distance. Do you know what I mean? I don't have to get off. Yeah. to turn it on. Oh, I think if you have internet access, you could turn your heat on or off if you were in America or <laughs> Timbuktu, yeah, for that matter. Yeah, I yeah. could go into town and turn it on, yeah. yeah a, lot, a lot of people would be uh, familiar with them. They're, they're a great way uh, of controlling your heat in your house. Uh, but yeah, because you have it... There's an eco mode on it as well, so it actually saves electricity or gas mm. as well. Okay, but be, be, because you have it... Uh, the old way of turning on and off your heat was removed. You don't have the clock on the wall, the timer or whatever um, was there before. Yeah. Uh, so 
now they are, uh, they've come to you and they've said they want eight fifty a month for this yeah. mechanism. Yeah. Uh, where, where, where did that where did that figure come from? I mean, when when you signed up for this, uh, it was free, was it not? It was free, yeah. It was it was true. S A I grant, yeah. 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 And it was that was it. There was no con. So so as far as you, you know, I have two, two kids here, and I just won't have heating for a while. Right. I save up, buy a new timer. But but where did this charge come from? Because when you signed up, it was free. Did you have any indication that there was ever going to be a charge no, for it? No, just last last Tuesday, I got a, a message on on the actual app saying it'll discontinue after the twenty years. Now it is on at the minute, so maybe it just takes a day or two for them to disconnect mm. it. And there's no other way of turning your heat on. No, you need a timer. The boiler won't go on manually. Mm. You need a timer for it, right? You know, like a switch, an electric electric switch. Mm. And you, you, you need some kind of timer. You, you've tried it. Oh yeah, I tried it that last night. There's, there's no mechanism to uh, turn the boiler on in, independently. Okay, so your options are pay this charge, yeah, eight fifty, eight ninety nine, whatever it is, a month, or yeah, or a hundred pound for a new timer, up to a hundred euro. And maybe seventy quid for an electrician to come out. Right. So one hundred and seventy quid it'll cost, probably. Okay. Uh, and you don't have that, so the only option you feel that you're left with is to leave the heat off. Yeah, because I'm on disability, so I wouldn't have uh, the money for that, especially with the cost of everything. You know. Right. And have you got a contract? No, never signed anything. No. Right. Okay, but no. you, you've been left in this position. Okay, uh, say with us, Liam, uh, as I say, sorry? There must be thousands more in the country with similar situation. Okay, Darren O'Rourke uh, is still on the line. Um, mm. Darren O'Rourke, what do you make of that? Yeah, it's it's, it's hugely frustrating for, for, for Liam, and, and more than that, um, I, I know those, those hub controller... Uh, devices they're um, they were run on a pilot basis and were supported on a pilot basis uh, by the SAAI. Um, they make a huge difference uh, um, uh, in supporting people to efficiently heat their home uh, and they, they aid in keeping the the cost of bills down. So they're a really smart piece of of technology. Um, but unfortunately, Liam is like a lot of people. He's he's caught uh, in the middle between a dispute between the SAAI and hub controller. Um, SEI uh, towards the back end of last year uh, advised hub controller that they wouldn't be supporting them, that the pilot was over and they wouldn't be supporting them in th- into the future. I I think that is an outrageous decision by SEI given mm. that this is a, a smart piece of technology that makes a difference and, and, and Liam has, has, has given his experience of it there. But also uh, I, I don't think the solution is to, to, to heap a cost, an additional cost uh, or or to to remove the technology and, and possibly leave people um, without energy. Um, so so it, it does need to be resolved. I've I've raised this before with mm. the SAI, um, and there there needs to be a, an intervention and a solution here. And I think the solution is that that this technology needs to be continued to be supported. Now, there's another option. I mean, if the SEAI doesn't want to do that, and according to Hub Controller, they don't want to do that because they want to spend whatever money uh, they'd have used on these mechanisms to go into deep retrofits instead. 
but it, they have another option, which is to put timers back into people's homes. You can't just leave people without heat uh, because uh, there was no warning that this could have been the eventuality. No, no, absolutely, no. Like it's 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 completely unacceptable that people would be left exposed in in that way um, and left without the the ability to control or switch on their their own heating systems. But um, my suspicion here is that um, that this is part of a um, a, 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 a very public and difficult negotiation between these two uh, uh, companies or, or, or agencies and, and it's, it's absolutely no way to treat people um, uh, customers who, who obviously need the, the access to, the, to their own systems. I will say the SEI say that there are grant supports up to 700 euros for different uh, smart technologies controller systems that, that do the same thing but um, hub controller as a, a very version of that was a successful model. Mm. So whatever has gone on to lead to, to this, this dispute, um, uh, the, the parties need to come together and ensure that people like Liam yeah. are not exposed and run the risk of, of being left without uh, heat or, or, or power. That's and when when did you say you were notified, Liam? Uh, it'd be last Tuesday. Oh, you said it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. Uh, Last Tuesday, and they're going to turn us off today or yesterday. Um, There's an email uh, saying that it finished after the 28th of February. That doesn't give anybody the time to go apply for grants and for it to come through and all that. Uh, I mean, it it just seems ludicrous uh, and that somebody should take responsibility and somebody should make sure that uh, you should be able to turn your heat on. Uh, Have you any advice for Liam, Darren? Well, there's there's a number of things. One, um, you you can contact the Consumer Protection Agency because I, I I'm not uh, convinced that this is a legitimate approach on behalf of that that, that company. Um, so so as a consumer, you you have rights and those rights should should be upheld. That type of notice seems far too short for me. Um, the 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 advice that they are giving you that they will come and remove their kit but not put the kit back in that. That, that you had before yeah. um, my understanding would be that they would have to if they were taking their own uh, uh, device out that they would have to leave uh, you in a, in a situation they, they'd have to leave it the way they found it mm. um, but but I'm happy to pick up on it with, with, with Liam uh, if, if we come off this call um, I, I can I can take his details and, and, and follow up on it because this is completely unacceptable um, there you know it sits within a wider uh, uh, range of measures from the SEI and problems with retrofitting and uh, the, you know sh- the, the, the failure to, to introduce shallow retrofits and to support people mm. in taking uh, uh, simple measures that they want to uh, take. But it's Le- another example of hurdles. Okay, and as Liam said, there must be thousands of people like himself. No, no, absolutely, yeah. and and you know, hub controller will will operate in in hub controller's interest. You know, so they they came with a, a device and a business plan, and SEI have 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 uh, withdrawn their support for that. Uh, so so hub controller are are looking to find um, alternative revenue, but also using the the leverage that they have of uh, lots of of valuable customers um, to to in in part of that. So so it's completely unacceptable. 
acceptable. We, we, we need to ensure, and there are responsible authorities, so the Consumer Protection Agency, the regulator, SEI themselves, the department, the minister, all have a responsibility in relation to this. They cannot stand over a system where they supported a scheme for a period of time and then walked away from it and left customers, including vulnerable customers, exposed with the risk of being left without heat and power. That is something that, that we cannot yeah. countenance. Yeah. I hope there's nobody who disagrees with that. Uh, Liam, uh, we'll share your details with Darren O'Rourke if that's okay with you. That's no problem. All right, uh, and uh, I hope uh, that something's sorted out because it, it really does sound off the wall, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> pardon the pun, but hopefully they'll put your clock back on the wall and uh, yeah. sort it out for you. All right, Liam, thank you indeed uh, for making contact and hopefully uh, there will be some success uh, as a result of it. And thank you indeed, Darren O'Rourke, for joining us on the programme this morning as well. Darren O'Rourke is Sinn Féin's spokesperson on energy and a TD for Mealyst. Michael Reed on LMFM. This week is Eating Disorders Awareness Week and uh, there is an estimated 188,000 people in this country who are affected by eating disorders. Let's hear from the group that helps people who are in that situation, Body Wise. Ellen Jennings is the communications officer at Body Wise. And a very good morning to you, Ellen, and thanks for joining us on the programme this morning. Uh, This is a a week uh, that uh, is focused on annually. The theme this year is breaking the stigma, diverse male experiences with eating disorders and body image. Uh, Apparently, there's a, a lot more men than people might think who suffer from eating disorders. Tell us more, if you would, please. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me on this morning. Um, Yeah, as you've said, it's Eating Disorders Awareness Week this week, and we're focusing on the male experience. Um, I suppose, historically, there's been a misunderstanding around eating disorders. Um, They were seen as a female illness, and that stigma has stood in the way of men acknowledging their experiences as that of an eating disorder which means that um, it might delay them from seeking help and lead them to becoming more unwell with the disorder. Um, we do know that eating disorders are very serious and complex mental health conditions that affect every aspect of a person's life. So this week is all about really bringing that male experience into the foreground and trying to break down that stigma that might stand in the way of men reaching out for help mm. um, or recognising their experience as that of an eating disorder. Did I read that one in four eating disorders are experienced by men? Yeah, so recent research is pointing towards that figure. When we think of research around eating disorders, it's quite difficult to get accurate statistics because of the nature of the condition. Um, It's a very secretive condition and it thrives in that secrecy. Um, It's a coping mechanism for the person. So letting go of that and acknowledging that it is an issue um, that is actually taking control over them as opposed to them being in control. Um, is part of the problem um, with people reaching out for help. So statistics are often not reflective of the of the issue itself, um, and are likely underrepresentative of of what's actually going on. So that's um, quite challenging. Mm. Uh, is there behaviour uh, that may identify uh, the beginning of uh, somebody uh, who could end up with a, an eating disorder? 
Yeah, so when we think of an eating disorder, there's no one cause. So there's many different risk factors that might um, make someone more vulnerable to coping in this way. Um, When we think of signs and symptoms that we might notice for a person, we usually break that down into the thinking patterns. So there might be lots of rules around food and exercise. The behaviours are what we will see on the surface and the people around the person might see. But really those behaviours are, are a symptom of what's really going on underneath for the person and that emotional aspect, which is often at the core of the eating disorder. The physical aspects of the eating disorder are something that people will also um, maybe be able to notice from the outside, but not necessarily. Um, you know, eating disorders can happen to anyone at any shape or size. So that's also something that's important to keep in mind um, mm. around this condition. Uh, I don't mean to uh, simplify this uh, because I'm sure it is very complicated and everybody is very different. Uh, but when you say that we would usually identify eating disorders with females, uh, I think quite often it's women looking to be body beautiful models and that type of thing. Uh, is it body image with men, but in a different sense where maybe they want to be bodybuilders? Yeah, I think what you've noted there is something that we're seeing in the research around maybe differing body ideals between males and females. So with women, it was often this thin ideal that was perpetuated in the media and social media and the world around us. Whereas with men, there might be more of a focus on muscularity, even when we think of um, when young boys are growing up with the the action figures and um, movies that perpetuate this ideal of this very muscular body shape and that's seen as this ideal for um, for people to reach this kind of unrealistic and um, uh, unrealistic ideal that is impossible for the person to, to meet you know so it's it's very difficult to be in a position where you're I suppose, uncomfortable with your body and how you feel about yourself um, and to then be faced with these kind of um, ideas of what success and perfection looks like that are are not realistic. Yeah, well, I I suppose there's a lot of people who would wonder why. Why is it uh, that uh, you want to be beautiful uh, regardless of what your perception of beautiful is if you're going to damage yourself and you can really do yourself some serious harm whether it's anorexia or bulimia or one of uh, these eating disorders Uh, and that's uh, a question that Body Wise tries to answer I suppose for a a lot of people and you've uh, had an online support group for men uh, that you've been running over the course of uh, the last year. Yeah, so we have a monthly support group specifically for men um, to share their experiences that might be unique to them. We also have a group that's open to everyone that takes place on a weekly basis. Um, So the next monthly men's support group is on the 20th of March. Um, But people are welcome to reach out to our support services at any point, um, you know, if they feel that they can identify with anything discussed. um, So you can reach us at bodywise, B-O-D-Y-W-H-Y-S dot I-E and all of our support services are available there. Mm. We have our Eating Disorders Awareness Week this week, so there's lots of content on our social media channels as well, so that's bodywise as well. Okay, I take it there's no real logical answer to the questions that people have uh, that um, it's not as simple as making a a decision to eat or not eat uh, that it it is a psychological stroke psychiatric problem 
Yeah, absolutely. There's so many elements to an eating disorder. Um, you know, there's that body image element. There's also the food element. There's the thinking patterns. There's the behaviours. Um, there's the feelings that the person experiences and that change in uh, personality, mood um, and difficulties that the person can experience in that way. Mm. So, you know, it's not it's not clear cut and no two eating disorders are the same. So treatment will look different for everyone as well. And that recovery process will be different for everyone. Mm. It's, it's secretive, uh, uh, as you say, Ellen. Uh, is it something that people try to hide from themselves? Do they deny that they have a problem? I think what's difficult about eating disorders is that the person might not be able to recognise that they have uh, an issue because when the eating disorder is, quote unquote, you know, working for the person in that they're using it as a coping mechanism to feel okay and they do feel okay at that point, um, there then comes a point where it becomes compulsive and the eating disorder then becomes in control of the person. So the person then has to do everything that this eating disorder um, kind of says they should do. Um, And that's when it becomes really difficult for the person. And that can often be a breaking point and a point when people will recognise that something's not quite right. But... um, yeah, it's it can be difficult to, to come to that point. And even when the person is ready to um, acknowledge that something's not quite right, it might take some time before they're ready to actually say that to someone else or to open up mm. about that. Yeah. Is this uh, often that other people identify the problem before the person themselves realises that they have a problem? A family member, for example, do you hear from family members? Do they come to you anxious about people that uh, they're related to? Absolutely. Our support services are open to the person themselves with the eating disorder and also family members. And we run um, a support program called the Pillar Program for Family Members. And the next program starts on the 9th of March and that focuses on um, supporting someone with an eating disorder and maybe someone who might not be ready to acknowledge that what um, they're struggling with is an eating disorder or is an issue. And it talks through that communication process and how to approach that situation when the person might not be ready to necessarily reach out for help. Because it's so important that people um, intervene early with this condition for the best chance at recovery. We know that recovery is absolutely possible, um, but early intervention is uh, very helpful in that recovery process before the behaviours become more entrenched. All right, well, it's BodyWise, W-H-Y-S, BodyWise and BodyWise.ie. You'll get all the information uh, that uh, you'll need if uh, you're looking to find out more. Listen, thanks uh, for joining us uh, this morning, Alan. Thanks, Michael. Thank you indeed. Alan Jennings is uh, the communications officer with BodyWise. A uh, uh, text uh, from Magella who says uh, there was €162 Euro in my gas on Monday. I put no heating on. I wasn't home yesterday. I put no heating on going uh, around in my coat. And I checked my meter and now there seems to be only €132 Euro on it. Where's the €32 Euro gone? Uh, it's a, a good question. Um, Margaret says a two thousand euro rise for TDs, bringing their pay up to one hundred and seven thousand a year, plus unvouched expenses, which could be a year's wages for others, is wrong. When so many people are on the breadline, how much money is enough for them? The money is always there to give themselves eye-watering rises, yet it is not there for our medics, our carers, our emergency workers and so on who are in far harder jobs. It's a disgrace that a country as small as ours is 
paying that uh, amount out to TDs when larger countries with bigger populations don't pay their reps as much. They're not worth that amount of money, says Margaret, uh, who doesn't believe in the L'Oreal uh, public representative. Uh, somebody else, uh, Mary in touch, uh, saying interesting show this morning. Great uh, to have a rest from the political fair and hear from ordinary listeners. Thank you. Well, our lines are always open, Mary. Amen. No Party says, our last g- gas bill was €490 Euro and it's gone up €230 Euro this year and the heat was on far less. Uh, no doubt our house is freezing. And uh, so are we, says Eamon. Thank you uh, indeed uh, for that. A a number of people in touch with us about the noise in Gemma's house and uh, wondering uh, all kinds of things, uh, but it's very hard to establish what it is. Uh, I think what she needs is to have that noise tested, if anybody has any suggestions as to how she can do that privately. Uh, When it comes uh, to uh, the hub controllers, uh, somebody says, a similar thing happened to me with Climote. My app stopped working and when I found them, they said I would have to pay. Okay, but I think the difference here is they're going to take away the box as well, which will mean that Liam won't be able to turn his heat on without it. But thank you indeed uh, for your message if you have been in touch. That's our programme for today. Maggie McGuire Research. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning, bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.